You're listening to Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. (laughs) Welcome to Sleep Stories for Equestrians. I'm your host, Ashley Winch. We're so happy you're here to relax and unwind. If you fall asleep and miss the story, we will recap it at the beginning of the next episode. We've also selected and edited these stories for ultimate relaxation, removing any stressful bits without affecting the story's integrity, so you can focus on drifting off to sleep. With that, let's settle down and prepare for our story. The gates are closed, the horses sleep, the day's work done, the chores complete. Now let us rest, our bodies and minds, drift off to sleep, and close your eyes. It's time for us to turn down for the night. Now let's breathe in, breathe out, and turn off the light. One more time, breathe out, breathe in. Now let us begin. Last week, the BB family was doing everything that they could to keep their minds from the worry of the storm. Let's join them and see if Misty has had her foal. Chapter 7 The Sea Takes Over All night long, Paul heard the driving rain and the wind lashing the dead vine across his window. Even in his dreams he heard it. As gray daylight came, his sleepy voice kept mumbling. They should have named it Oceanus, Oceanus, Oceanus. His own words brought him awake. Scarcely touching his toes to the cold floor, he leaped to the window and pulled the curtain aside. He stared, awestruck. The sea was everywhere, all around. The tide had not ebbed, it had risen, its waves dirtied and yellowed by sand and jetsam. They were licking now against the underpining of the house. Suddenly, Paul knew it was more than the rain he had heard in his dreams. It was the sea on its march to the house. All at once, fear was sharp in him. Misty, what about Misty? Was she trapped in her stall? Angry at himself, almost blaming himself for the storm, he pulled on his blue jeans over his pajamas and yelled for Grandpa as he tore through the silent house to the back hall. The old man was already there, struggling into his hip boots. Shh, he whispered. You'll wake up your Grandma and Maureen. Ain't nothing they can do to help. Maybe, his voice was tight and bitter, ain't nothing anybody can do. Paul hoped Grandpa wouldn't notice the tremble of his hands as he buttoned his jacket, but Grandpa was busy gathering up a pile of supplies, some old worn bath towels, a thermos jug of hot water, a box of oatmeal, and a small brown paper sack. He stuffed the towels inside his slicker, picked up the jug, 
and gave the oatmeal in the sack to Paul. Mind you keep them dry, he cautioned. The sack's got sugar inside, in case of emergencies. He opened the door, and the old man and the boy stepped out into a terrifying 75-mile-an-hour gale. The sudden pressure knocked Paul's breath out. The rain blew into his eyes faster than he could blink it away. He felt Grandpa thrust a strong arm through his and linked tight together as they flung themselves against the wind, floundering in ankle-deep choppy water. Paul's heart hammered in his chest and he cried inside, Please, take the sea back where it belongs. Please take it back. Numb and weary, they reached the shed, and to their relief it was a windbreak. They caught their breath in its shelter, at least, Paul thought, the wind wouldn't rush in when we opened the door. Grandpa set down his jug. Paul opened the door just a crack. Fearfully, uncertainly, they peered in. They stared, unbelieving. Maureen, looking like a wet fish or a half-drowned mermaid, sat dozing on Misty's back. Skipper was sleeping at her feet, curled up in a furry ball. As the door creaked on its hinges, Misty shied and Maureen fell off in a surprised heap. She bounced up like a jack-in-the-box. Well, I never, Grandpa clucked as he and Paul went inside. Seems like we're intruding, huh, Paul? Paul's surprise turned to resentment. Least you could have done, Maureen, was to wake me up. And who usually goes off alone? Who? You. Remember when you sneaked Grandpa's boat and went to Assateague all alone? Oh, that. That was no place for a girl. Now stop, Grandpa said. He gave Maureen a gentle spank and turned to Paul. We've got all the makings here. You and Maureen fix a hot mash for Misty. I'll wade over to the hay house and see to watch eyes and Billy Blaze and the mares. You too wait for me here. Later, at breakfast, Grandma said, As you said, children, there's a time to go to school and a time to stay home. Well, this here is a time to stay home. I won't have you going out again and catching the bad pneumonia. Guess you're right, Itty, Grandpa agreed. Paul and Maureen merely nodded. For once, a holiday from school did not seem attractive. They ate in silence. I've a good mind to feed you sawdust after this, Grandma went on. Not one of you would know the difference. Halfway through, Grandpa pushed his bowl of porridge aside. It's sticking in my gullet, he said. He got up from the table and stood over the stove, flexing his fingers. Any way you look at it, he sighed heavily, we're bad off. Our old scow tore loose in the night. It's gone. And likely, our ninety head up to deep hole are gone too, his body shivered. But even so, we're lucky. Maureen sat up very straight. You have me and Paul, she said solemnly. 
Now that's exactly what I mean. We got us two stout-built grandchildren, and they're not afraid to buckle down and pull alongside us. Paul stood up. He felt strong and proud, as if he could tackle anything. I'm going with you, Grandpa. How do you know I'm going anywhere? But I am. I got to get over to town. Human folk may need rescuing. Grandma's lips pressed into a thin line. You can't go. There's no road. Water would come up clean over your boots. There, there, Eddie. The winds let up some, and Billy Blaze and Watch Eyes are used to plowing through the water. If they can't walk, they can swim. You ready, boy? Paul shot a look of triumph at Maureen and immediately felt ashamed. Clarence. Grandma pleaded, trying to keep her menfolk at home. I won't have you going off and overstraining yourself. You and me too, she added quickly, is getting agey. Besides, soon the telephone will come on and the electric, and we can get all cozy-like and listen to the news on the radio. If everyone was to stay home, Itty, a lot of folk might go floating out to sea. He clapped his hand over his mouth. Grandma's eyes filled. All right, go along, she said. I just hope your herd up to Tom's pasture ain't met a fate of some kind. Grandpa put a gentle hand over her shoulder. That's another reason I got to go, he said. When I'm fighting the elements, I can't be grieving about my herd. If they've weathered the night, they'll last the day. And if they ain't, I'll keep watch on Misty, Maureen offered. And if there's any trouble, Grandma knows all about birthing. Chapter 8 Paul to the Rescue By the time Paul and Grandpa set out on Watch Eyes and Billy Blaze, the wind had dropped to 50 miles an hour. Yet the water from the ocean was stealthily creeping up and up as if to reclaim this moat of land and take it back to the sea. Spilling and foaming, the tide continued to rise, flooding chicken farms, schoolyards, stores and houses in its surge to join the ocean and bay. Watch Eyes and Billy Blaze were used to surf and boggy marsh, for they had been on many a wild pony roundup. Feeling ahead for footholds, they pushed forward, step by step, not seeming to mind the water splashing up on their bellies. Grandpa on Blaze cupped one hand around his mouth and yelled above the wind, Turn off at Rattlesnake Ridge, Paul. We'll stop at Barrett's Grocery first and get the news. Paul nodded as though he had heard. Anger boiled up in Paul, seeing the state of his neighbors' homes. Anger at the senseless brutality of the storm. He rode, shivering and talking to himself. That big bully, striking these little frame houses that can't stand up to it, dropping them, whopping them, knocking their props out. A street sign veered by, narrowly missing the horse's knees. 98th Street, 
it said. Grandpa turned around to make sure he had read it right. My soul and body, he boomed. It's gone clean down from Ocean City. That's 30 miles away. Without warning, Watch Eyes suddenly slipped and went floundering. Paul's quick hand tightened on the reins, lifting his head. He felt Watch Eyes jolt, then stretch out swimming. Go, go, he shouted, and he stood up in his stirrups, feeling a kind of wild excitement. This was like swimming the channel on Pony Penning Day, only now the water was icier and it was spilling into his boots, soaking his blue jeans and the pajamas he still had on. Yet, his body was sweating and he was panting when they reached the store. In front of Barrett's grocery store, two red gas pumps were being used as mooring posts for skiffs and smacks and trawlers. A Coast Guard DUKW called Duck, and looking like a cross between a jeep and a boat, came churning up alongside Grandpa and Paul. The driver called out, Mr. Beebe, we need you both. His voice was a command. Tie up your horses in Barrett's barn and come aboard. From under the tarpaulin, a child's voice cried excitedly, Paul, how's Misty? And another spoke up, Has she had her baby yet? Paul shook his head. Mr. Barrett's barn had a stout ramp, and Watch Eyes and Billy Blaze trotted up and inside like homing pigeons. After Paul and Grandpa had loosened the ponies' girths and slipped the bits under their chins, they waded out to the duck. The passengers squeezed together to make room. Then, the duck turned and chugged toward the village. Sir, Paul asked the driver, could you take us up to the deep hole to see about Grandpa's ponies? Grim face, the man replied. Gotta save people first. As they turned onto Main Street, which runs along the very shore of the bay, Paul was stunned. Yesterday, the wide street with its white houses and stores and oyster-shucking sheds had been neat and prim, like Grandma Moses' picture. Today, boats were on the loose, bashing into houses. A forty-footer had rammed right through this one house its bow sticking out the back door, its stern out the front. Up ahead, a helicopter was letting down a basket to three people on a rooftop. Grandpa gaped at the noisy machine in admiration. I itched to be up there, lifting up the old and the sick. Paul, too, wanted to do the big rescue work. As if reading his mind, the driver turned to him. Son, he said, do you feel strong enough to save a life? Yes, sir. Good. You know Mr. Terry, the man who has to live in a rocking bed? Paul nodded. It rocks by electric, but he's got a gasoline generator now. Mrs. Terry was telling Grandpa about it last night. Yes, but along about midnight the gas ran low. It took the firemen an hour to get through this surf to deliver more gas to keep the generator running. 
He is still alive. What can I do? Paul asked. Plenty, son. The whole island's running out of gas. And until helicopters can bring some in, that respirator's got to be worked by hand. Oh, of course I'll help. The driver now turned to Grandpa. These folks, he said, indicating his passengers, are flooded out. We'll take them to the second story of the firehouse for shelter. Then we got to chug up to Bear Scratch section and rescue a family with six children. Oh, here we are at the Terry's. The duck skewered to a stop in front of a two-story white house. Good luck, Paul. When the gas arrives, grab any duck going by and we'll meet you back at Barrett's store along about noon. Paul got out and plowed up to the house. The door opened as he stumbled up the flooded steps, and Mrs. Terry greeted him. Her face was pale, and there were deep circles under her eyes, but she smiled. You've come to man the generator? Yes, sir, I mean, yes, ma'am, Paul stammered. I'm Paul Beatty. Oh, she smiled again. So you're the Beatty boy. You're the one who rescued Misty when she was a baby and nearly drowned. Yes, ma'am. And to think that now she's going to have a baby of her very own. Yes, ma'am. Any minute. All the while, she watched Paul pulling off his boots and jacket. Mrs. Terry talked to him, but her head was cocked, ears alert, listening to the steady hum of the generator in the next room. We've so little gas left, she said. The doctor says I'm to save it in case relief men get worn out. She led the way down the hall to Mr. Terry's bedroom. Paul blanched. Hospitals and sick rooms gave a cold clutch of fear, but the moment he saw Mr. Terry smiling there in his rocking bed, he was all eagerness to help. Maybe he could do a better job than an old machine. Maybe he could pump stronger and faster so Mr. Terry would get more air in his lungs and his face wouldn't look so white. Mrs. Terry showed Paul how to work the controls. He's used to just 28 rocks a minute, she explained. No faster, no slower. Hi, son. The voice from the bed was weak but cheerful. It's good of you to help. Paul bent to his work, pushing up and down in steady rhythm, 28 strokes to the minute. Maybe, he thought as the minutes went by, now I can qualify for a volunteer fireman. He was glad he was used to pumping water for the ponies. And that sent him thinking of Misty, and the bittersweet worry rushed over him again so that he barely heard Mrs. Terry. How wonderful people are, Paul she was saying. With their property wrecked and their own lives endangered, they are so concerned about us, and we aren't even shinkatigers. We just came here to retire. Paul heard the words far off. He was thinking, sometimes newborn colts don't breathe right away, and horse doctors have to pump air into their lungs with their own hands, like this, down up, down up. Would it be 28 
times a minute for a little full, or more, maybe less. How would he know? Why hadn't he asked Dr. Finney, the veterinarian from Pocomoke? Runnels and rivulets of sweat were trickling down his back. His face and hair were dripping as if he was still out in the rain. Paul, Mrs. Terry was saying, look, a whole beautiful tank of gas has come, and the duck man is waiting to give you a ride back. High time, too. You're all tuckered out, poor lamb. Mr. Terry smiled and shook hands with Paul. In my book, you are a hero, he said. In the Barrett's store, the smell of fresh ground coffee and cheese and chewing tobacco was mixed with the stench of wet boots and dead fish. Paul stepped inside and closed the door. Groups of men were standing, knee-deep in water, gabbling to each other like long-legged shorebirds. Paul waited by the door until Tom Reed beckoned him over. Yes, sir, a man with a crane-like neck was saying. I figure two, three pressure areas come together and make a kind of funnel. Mr. Barrett was waiting on customers and listening at the same time. He leaned over the counter. To my notion, he said, this storm made a figure eight and come back again before the tide ever ebbed. Paul tugged at Tom's sleeve. Mr. Reed, he whispered, what about Grandpa's ponies up to your place? Don't know, Paul, and we won't know till we can get back into the woods. Water's too deep to walk in and the ducks are too busy rescuing people. The storekeeper leaned across the counter nosing in between Paul and Tom Reed. Who's next, gentlemen? Paul felt in his pocket, counting his money. I have 39 cents, he said. I can buy two cans of beans. If only we'd gotten some notice ahead of this storm, Mr. Barrett was saying as he spilled the coins into the drawer. With the hurricane, you know ahead, and when it's over, it's over. Yup, the men agreed. A hurricane blows crazy, then it's gone, but a tidal storm sneaks up on you and stays. While Maddox, the leader of the Roundup men, had been listening as he crunched on an apple, he came over now to Tom Reed. Tom, he said, you're blessed with mother wit. You're the one who knows most about the sea and sky. How do you figure it? A small, spare man blushed. while I'm no authority, but, as I see it, the storm looped and come back and kept a-pressin' and a-pressin' the water into the bay instead of letting it go out at ebb time. Why is the water so high on the bay side near the mainland? Because usually it's a nor'west wind that helps the tide flow back out of the bay, but this time... The wind blew nor'east, and the water just swelled up into a bulge at the narrows and had nowhere to go. The door suddenly opened, letting in the sound and cold of the wind, and alongside it came Grandpa Beebe, looking hale and ruddy, alongside the lean fisher folk. What's the news? Mr. Barrett called out. Grandpa looked face to face. 
bad, he said. Governments declared Shinkatik a disaster area. A disaster area? That's not news. But this is. A whole fleet of helicopters is coming in from the military this afternoon, and we're all supposed to evacuate over to the main. Evacuate? The word dropped like a time bomb. Then the explosion. Why? What for? Maybe okay for sick folk, yeah, or the homeless. Yeah, I got a second story, me too. Everyone was talking at once. Everyone but Paul. He felt a hard lump in his stomach. He would refuse to go unless they took Misty too. The storekeeper rapped out on the counter for silence. Fellers, let's all just hear Mr. Beebe out. Grandpa took a moment before he went on. Tide's supposed to come up higher, he announced. Four feet higher. Four feet? Why, that'll flood the whole island. Every house, every store, even the firehouse and the churches. But that's only half the reason. Government says there could be an epidemic of typhoid with all the chickens and fish. Talk ceased. There was sudden exodus. Men sloshing heavy-footed out of the store, getting into their boats, going home to their families, figuring out how to break the news. Come, Paul, Grandpa beckoned. Paul followed along. I got us two cans of beans, he offered, not knowing what else to say. Ain't gonna need em, Grandpa just said gruffly, then he turned to look at Paul. They might taste real good, though, come to think of it. Thank you for joining us for today's reading. Allow this calming music to lull you off to slumberland.